Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Richard and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, welcome to episode 49. I'm here with Rich um, in Lake, well, not in Lake Bill, beside Lake Bill. That it's, would be bad. There's like some huge fish in there. I know. I reckon they're like mutant. They're, some of these things just don't it's look like fish with lasers. Normal. <laughs> yeah, like we should, actually, we should strap some lasers to them. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, Internet of Things on Koi Carp. <laughs> there's some rumors that people introduced other species in here and they had to get them out because they were causing all sorts of crazy things to happen. But um, it's a beautiful day here in Seattle. It's uh, 80 Fahrenheit today already, it's... which is pretty unheard of. And this is when they get the interns into campus to make them look like Seattle's always like this. It's supposed to be like this all week too. It's so... going to be great, yeah. yeah. yeah I'd, um, last week, I, we forgot to mention it, but I actually, um, well, I was in my new office, but I'd moved into a new house. And uh, apologies for the sound quality last week where we're, uh, our producers told us off for um, not using the right microphones. Um, but we, we did record a bunch of stuff with Eric Shups or Shoops. It's Shoops. You I asked just him. say it wrong. I just say it wrong. I know I do. I, okay. I'll, I'll get it right. So we split it over two weeks. So the, the interview today is talking about the community engagement that he does in Texas and some things about how he gets that going and the technical audience there. So rather than kind of have one long epic episode, we split it over two weeks. But we still wanted to do a weekly update because there's been a ton of stuff this week. Like I don't know why it's so unprecedented that this week's kind of steamed on, but it's been a pretty busy week, right? Yeah, you know, we have a lot of the, the regulars out there, but, uh, you know, things like new acquisitions and all kinds of good, right. good excitement. Yeah, and, and I must admit, you know, a lot of people just assume that we know these things are coming. Um, and although it was the OneNote team that actually did the acquisition of um, Wonderlist, uh, we weren't aware, well, I definitely wasn't aware. I think CJ might have had an inkling through some connections, but. What's your thoughts on that? Do you use Wonderlist at all? Are you a bit of a task man or? Ironically, I have a very type A wife and and so I, I think my personal life has run off a task list. And so <laughs> like my honeydews and things like that, uh, you know, as I travel around a whole bunch, things pile up and that's a, a great way to, um, you know, be able to manage that. For me, like the, the, the Wonderlist apps are have such a great user experience. It's so easy and intuitive to use and so, you know, to me, what's exciting about that is if you think about other things that we're doing in the task space that right. might be like coming in the next few, you know, around Office 365, I think there's some really um, cool, unique things that might come together. Yeah, like uh, people were a bit in tune with that. Ignite, if you'd have seen any of the demos, you would have seen the planner icon in the app launcher. And, you know, we talked about the task API coming to the groups constructs and the groups API and the unified API. So those things won't it kind of be ingested immediately, but um, I think the focus of Wonderlist to start with will be just consumer, and then over time it'll kind of be consumer and commercial. So I think that's great that we've picked up something where the user interface is you know, pretty amazing on pretty much every platform. Um, I must admit, I was telling you earlier on, I used it for a little bit, I think six months, and then I switched to Todoist because I preferred some of the more advanced features that Todoist.com had um, in terms of uh, the kind of the, the the views that you could get when you started like heavily using metadata on the tasks and, and bits like that. But one list is definitely something for, you know, someone who just wants a task list and a bunch of categories to be able to just kind of put those things together. So it's, it's pretty neat. Yep. So another one, so it's Sunrise, Accompli, Wanderlist. I know there's a few more coming too. So 
um, it'll be interesting to see what else we acquire right. to kind of build our seems consumer like user base. Seems like we're starting to own all of these like great user experience, like best of breed type uh, yeah, apps. So. On the mobile, I think, you know, like there was a comment, I think it was Business Insider was saying, you know, although we don't have the uptick on Windows Phone, is that the right name for it now? Because I know we've changed that. Yeah. Windows Mobile. Windows we went back to Windows Mobile, didn't Windows we? Phone. And, you know, this, this notion of, okay, that the haven't got the adoption of the operating system, but if we own all the decent apps that everyone uses, then we kind of are part of that, you know, cloud, mobile first world, right? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so that's pretty exciting from that side. The other contentious thing when I posted on Friday last week was um, the renaming explanation, the cheat sheet, as I called it. We kept seeing on Facebook and Twitter and Yammer and Slack, which we'll talk about in a moment, you know, well, what do we call these things now? And what happens when I go to the SharePoint page and I have a list or a library and what do we call those things now? Are they apps or are they back to list and libraries? And um, essentially the way to treat this is, is that apps for SharePoint, apps for Office are called SharePoint add-ins and Office add-ins. Um, and so anywhere in the interfaces where you saw the word apps, essentially that will now go to the word add-ins. The app web is going to be called an add-in web. Um, app parts will become add-in parts. I can see you cringing on that one, Rich. Oh, no, I love it. Love it. <laughs> Sarcasm. Um, and there's been a bunch of feedback, and if you have an opinion, I'd love you to jump on the blog post um, that I, write, I got actually roasted on my blog, uh, jeremythake.com, uh, and give your opinions on it. There's been some concerns that end users don't understand. That, you know, They preferred the term app for SharePoint and they did add-ins and it doesn't really make sense to have an add-in to a SharePoint site. But I think a lot of that's, you know, people complain when we called it apps for SharePoint and now they just change. They don't like that factors again. Um, but on the blog, we explain the reasons why we did it. And the main one is, is that Office isn't just on the desktop now. It's on a program. It's an app on the iPad. It's an app in preview on the Android. It's an app on Windows 10. And having apps within apps was from our research calls and confusing in the end user community. And that's why we decided to have the, our office store call them add-ins. Uh, the one grind of contention here is, is that the app launcher is still called the app launcher because that's at the suite level from the top left in the, in the icon, the, the waffly icon. Um, and the reason for that is, is that all of those apps that you launch in the app launcher or the My Apps page are actually web applications. And the idea there is, is that you know, if you're a SaaS provider and you've already got an existing web app that you hit in a browser, we just want you to be able to integrate with us with, you know, log into Office 365 and appear in that um, that experience. And, and so we've kept those as apps because that's really the web application approach there that we're doing. So if I want to, if, if I'm working with the connect into Office 365 and with our APIs, I can still build an app. Right. Okay. Yeah. But um, I, I guess the argument to Eric's point, which we had offline, which he didn't bring up in the show was, you know, well, what, you know, provide a hosted add-in. So technically that's a standalone web application as well, but you're launching that from inside the site contents experience with yeah. SharePoint and not at the app launcher. So I kind of get the concern, um, but, you know, we're, we're sticking with the notion of apps at that level because, you know, you launch Word online and Excel and PowerPoint online from the app launcher like you do Delve and we call yeah. those apps. I don't know, the, you know, the provider hosted apps, to me that's something that, Although it's standalone, I don't know that it, it it really needs contextual information to function. Right. You know, I, mean, I guess you could build around that, but in general, um, you know, it's still I still think it makes sense. I think as we move more to doing things as Office 365 APIs, maybe some of that will. Yeah, change. and it and it's kind of you know for an end user, they don't know that you're you know launching a provider hosted SharePoint app compared to a standalone SaaS app that integrates with the auth. So. 
you know, I do get the technical concerns and we're, we're currently going through MSDN and all the documentation and the training stuff at devdeloffice.com, all our properties to make sure that we update that terminology and we use it. And um, we've both been pretty good at switching to add-ins. Um, it, it's not an easy thing to do once you've spent three years calling them apps. But Can you get me like a like a find replace all? Like, <laughs> I, I, need, I need it for like like mainly slide decks right now, but. right. The other one was, um, there was a question on my blog was, well, what about the APIs and will we be renaming all the namespaces there? And I've asked engineering, I haven't got a solid yes or no out of that. My assumption is probably no, but at some stage when the next kind of method or function comes along that has the word add-ins in it, we don't really want to have some that you says as in subsets, apps. So there'll probably be some aliases that prop up in the client side object model and, you know, Orthans, uh, well not Orthans, but like dupes in the REST API to make sure that people learning who have never known the notion of apps don't get confused. Because we don't want the days of SP site and SP web and SP web being a site and SP site being a site collection, <laughs> which is always, you know, a great thing to say in a training lesson like day one and all the people in the room go, what the hell? Like this doesn't make any sense. So we don't want that again. So yeah, we're working with engineering to make sure there's a strategy moving forward with that, but it's not gonna, not gonna happen overnight. Um, the other two that I posted on my blog this week, CJ has done this for his Microsoft Cloud Show around calling up all the cloudy news around Azure and Amazon and Google and everyone, everything else he talks about on the show, including Office 365. And I decided, uh, although I, right now I tweet, yam, LinkedIn post, everywhere else I can post, I've noticed that I'm a big consumer of Flipboard for tech news, and so now I'm actually posting all the same post I do to all those other networks to a, a, a Flipboard magazine. So if you're a Flipboard guy, go to my blog and you can um, join that channel. We've already had 55 signups in uh, three days since it went live. So yeah, I'll definitely be pushing that through. And it's actually a really nice way of consuming news. Do, do, how do you consume your news? Like, what do you use? I would say Twitter's a, probably a, a pretty big source for me. Is yeah. just following the right people, and you know, hopefully that that information usually trickles up through through there yeah so i find a lot of it that way just links off of it nothing that automatically aggregates but you know i'll definitely check out the you know the new yeah see the way i discover it is sometimes it's twitter but i, I do have feedly.com and so i have like a thousand rss these in there from all the sharepoint and office guys and that way every morning i just kind of over my chalk milk because i don't drink tea and coffee much laughter of everybody i'll sit and read them and then i add them to my um mybutter.com and that posts it also the, the different networks that we use. So um, that's a good way of I'm, I'm keeping up. So if, if you're seeing I'm not tweeting your blog post, just ping me and I'll add, you, add your RSS feed to my feedly.com. And then the other one for my blog, um, which has been interesting, there's been a little bit of uptick. I see a lot of people joining, but not much conversation yet. I think people are still trying to work out what the hell it is. But Slack, we created a Slack channel for Office 365 development. It's proving quite popular. The mobile apps are really, really good. And it's really, a, the best way I'm learning to describe it is, it's almost like IRC, like you have different boards, but it's real time. Like, it'd be pretty hard to catch up if you like didn't look at it for a week. It's something that you would almost treat like a group SMS. But the nice thing is, is like we've integrated it with the GitHub check-ins for like the patterns and practices group, the RSS feeds for the blog. So as those blogs come out, it will post on the Slack channel and then you know discussions start firing up. So um, there's a website you can go to to go register for that Slack channel and then we invite you and you can just join and then just download your app for the phone. The web app, I would recommend using Chrome because it has the integrated notifications as well. So do the Slack chimes directly in the in your um, your operating system, whatever you're using. 
So that's a good way to uh, get on top of Yammer where we tend to engage the most with our MVPs in a private network and also in the Office 365 technical network as well. In terms of updates this week from our CPUB team, our content publishing team, there's a team working on a getting started with SharePoint hosted apps experience where they're going through all the common kind of questions that people have had in the, the Stack Overflow and MSDN and Yammer forums and try to round all that up into a good kind of reference list. So if you're doing anything with SharePoint hosted apps, it'd be definitely worth checking that stuff out. I mean, I know you've done, you know, you preferred SharePoint hosted when we first started the model. What's your take now? Like, do you still start with SharePoint hosted and flip or do you tend to start with a provider when you're doing SharePoint add-ins? Honestly, I haven't I haven't actually built a SharePoint add-in in months. You know, most of the stuff that I do, I tend to kind of gravitate towards the, you know, our Office 365 APIs. But, yeah. But I mean, I think it all depends on, on what you're trying to do. I One of the things I liked about SharePoint hosted add-ins is the fact that if I did publish that to our store, it could it could target both on-premises customers and cloud customers. Right. Whereas if I did a provider hosted add-in, um, the only provider hosted add-ins that we allowed in the store are, are ones that are targeted for SharePoint Online. And so that was the only reason, you know, to me, if you, you could put a service in front of almost any type of functionality and then, you know, built it as a, a SharePoint add-in. Of course, you know, SharePoint hosted, you deal with, you kind of have to deal with the app webs and things right. like that at that point. And so. you're kind of all client side rather than managed code. That's so right. Like your business logic is locked, locked away. But I think a lot of the, I'm seeing a lot of the vendors do it because they don't have to have a multi-tenant service running somewhere in the cloud. But I think the reality is, is that, you know, if you're going to take these things seriously and, and really want some kind of ecosystem in, uh, you know, a customer base, you really need to go to the provider hosted yeah. to push it. This is good, the, the CPUB stuff. Just, you know, I... I sat in a dev camp last week in, in Dallas and, you know, it, it was kind of a wake up call for me that, you know, I take a lot of this for granted because I've done it for so long, but some of the confusion around getting started, yeah. you know, especially around SharePoint, if you're, if you're a SharePoint guy and you see, hey, I have this username because I just got a developer trial that's a dot on Microsoft.com. I saw so many people trying to enter in that as their SharePoint site. So right. like, you know, tenant dot on Microsoft.com or use a username that is tenant dot SharePoint.com. So uh, it was all this like- I remember that when I first started using Office 365, I was like, this on Microsoft thing's gonna drive me nuts. Like, yeah. now you just do it naturally, but it's that first few steps, right? Yeah. Actually, while we're on that subject of APIs, one thing that Mauricio wanted me to just mention on the show was we had Matthias Lieben on the show talking about Exchange APIs and the app-only notion and the SharePoint Sites API and the OneDrive for Business APIs now support app-only. Just to cover that, because we had a few questions on Yammer just recently around the app-only tokens and this notion. They're really intended for uh, long-running processes running from a, a timer job or a workflow type approach. And a lot of the questions we get around the permissions of that. And, and the key here is, is that with app only, it's really your users giving permissions to your long running process to be able to call with that token using the app only approach. And so a lot of people think they have kind of like godlike mode to access everything inside Office 365 with the app only token. But there are some limitations to what you can actually do with the app only compared to a user token when you know a user's navigating for a mobile device or navigating for a website. So before you jump down that path, there's some really good articles on MSDN that kind of explain what you can and can't do in each of the endpoints with, its, with app only compared to what you can do with the user tokens. 
Um, and then another one from the CPUB team, this is through Andrew Burns team who we've had on the show. There was an iOS app called the iOS Connect that was launched uh, and originally they did it as Objective-C. So you could kind of download it in Xcode and the equivalent of F5, I don't even know what the equivalent is on Xcode because I usually just click the play button. But they've done it for Swift now as well. So if you're a Swift dev now, you can actually see how they've used the SDKs to call through to the APIs too. So that's a great kind of roll up for the iOS side. And then what, what have we had in the community space? What have you uh, been seeing there, Rich? Well, um, one, one that I'll throw out that we, we don't have on the list here, um, Waldeck has been on this just monster role of putting out good blog posts. And he just did a really good post where he kind of talks about his evolution of thinking in terms of building things as a SharePoint hosted client side app and how that's evolved to you know, looking at the Office 365 APIs and Coors and um, kind of the, the steps he went through in kind of coming to kind of that direction of, of doing some client-side development. So I think it's a really cool, I think most people that came from a SharePoint background probably will or have already gone through that same journey. I know I did, you know, I most of the client-side development I did in the past was probably centered around you know, maybe a standalone app, uh, web application, but a lot of times it was SharePoint related. And, and so, you know, about a year ago when I started getting really down and dirty with, with doing things with Angular, you know, I, I kind of went through a certain personal growth of, of seeing kind of how, you know, the mind shift switches a little bit and, and kind of the different components and why I might do them. And so he has a, has a good post um, about that. Yeah, we had um, Steve Curran had written some nice stuff around um, site closures in SharePoint and how you can do that with JavaScript. So Steve's really good where we our documentation might be uh, a little bit kind of sparse on an area. He'll get in there and download the DLLs and reflect in and, and then he'll actually explain like the endpoints and how he's, how he's getting at these things inside SharePoint hosted apps. Steve does a ton of work with SharePoint Hosted and that's why he lives in JavaScript a fair bit. In actual fact, if you go to his blog post, you can actually see where he's using you know, Visual Studio to explore the objects in a DLL and, and get through that stuff. So um, he, he does a good explanation of explaining like how you can do the site closures and deletion policies from JavaScript and also highlights some of the limitations there as well. So, uh, you know, I, these, those ones are great because I flick them through to CPUB and tell them, you know, look, we've got a gap here in the doco, can we add it to the backlog? And, I flick it to the engineering team and say, look, there's some limitations that Steve's pointed out. And is there anything we're doing in those spaces? So, you know, it really does help that you guys are blocking that stuff. So big thanks there. And then Louis Valencia, who um, has been on a bit of a blogging tear as well, actually. He's been doing some stuff around provider-hosted app parts in uh, Insect Explorer without trusted sites and the fact that you lose the session values when you're jumping around. There's some workarounds there that he explains. There is actually an MSDN article, which is a little bit tricky to find. But it's just worth pointing out that if you're doing any session state work, just be careful with the, the browser stuff in IE. Um, I have flagged this again with engineering and they're gonna try and get back to us on how that's being resolved. And I'm really hoping we can share some stuff in the next few months of where we've talked before about this new SharePoint development teams forming with Shucks and um, Luca and a bunch of other guys, Dan Kogan and Adam Harmitz and that, with their direction and they're sharing internally with us right now that we can show you where the SharePoint added model's going and how extensively it's gonna progress further. and. I think we're going to be sharing the MVP soon, so I'm interested to see what their feedback is going to be on that white paper that we've had a, a good squiz at internally. This one would be a good one probably to, to incorporate into patterns and practices. I yes. know early on when I was doing stuff with like provider-hosted apps, 
I ran into this issue and I built like entire like helper file to like help deal with a lot of that. Oh, really? And and I never even thought that, hey, this would be useful Something for others. In a core library. It's, yeah, it's good to see a community member, yeah. um, you know, actually posting about it. It'd be neat to get we, some things around We should that. talk to Vesta about getting your stuff in there then, I guess. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Because I know you've got this vault of like awesome code that never sees the light of day and it's like pulling blood from a stone to <laughs> get it into the GitHub repos. Not, not true, not true. <laughs> we never got the help desk one, man. Should have, that should have made it up there. Yeah. I'll put you on a guilt trip now, but I know you're really busy with other stuff you can't talk about at the moment. Yes. Um, on PMP though, um, we had the June release. There was, um, there's actually the monthly call. We've recorded this on Monday. The monthly call's tomorrow morning on Tuesday, um, but it will be recorded. So if you did miss the call on Tuesday and you're listening to this on Thursday, um, you can go and download the call from dev.office.com slash pattern dash practices, uh, pattern dash and dash practices. Good old SEO URLs. And that, where this is where really Vesa and the team go through and talk about what's new in the monthly release that we ship into the main branch of the PMP repo. We are literally finally, due to budgeting, getting around to upgrading the patterns and practices resources page where it lists all the code samples. There'll be easier ways to navigate the hundreds of code samples now based on you know language and what type of add-in it is and what products they're using and um, what kind of uh, theme, whether it's branding or site provisioning or just kind of UI stuff. So we're gonna have all that in place soon, which should be good. And then the other thing with PNP was Vesta's shipped this usage survey. I'd highly recommend if you haven't filled it out um, to do so. There are some giveaways. I think he's got some PNP hoodies he's gonna give away as part of the, you filling out the survey. It's really useful for us to understand how you're using PNP, what you like, what you don't like, and any feedback you've got for the team. And they had an enormous amount of people respond to it very quickly just shows testament how this community has grown over time through the work that Vesta and all the guys like Steve Walker and um, myself and Bert and Frank and all the guys, Bert and Ernie and Frank, have done to kind of get this up on the off the ground. And there's some, uh, a major effort now to get the um, office add-in site going too. So where we've really focused on SharePoint, now we're going back and looking at office com add-ins and the office VSTO add-ins and uh, the VBA add-ins and, and really focusing on how we can help people in that era transform over to the new office add-in model. You know, one of the things I'd say there, especially uh, uh, regarding the survey is, you know, we definitely we definitely want your feedback, but I, I'd also say if, if you have some serious feedback in terms of something we need to, to adjust or do something differently in the P2P community, I'd highly recommend getting involved. One of the great things about that, it is a community. It is a kind of a, at least very started very grassroots like, and, and, um, you know, you have just as much power to go in and, and help form that community as, as me or me or Jeremy do. And so, you know, if you have good feedback for it, provide that feedback, but also get involved. You know, we can only, you know, I, I, I think Vesa came up with the slogan for PNP a long time ago, it's which it, is yeah. sharing is caring, yeah. right? So, Share your feedback, but also share, you know, if you have, you know, great samples or, or things that we can do to make that better, um, certainly get involved. Yeah, and if you're interested in the speaking aspect, I mean, the PNP guys, uh, Ignite and Build, you know, we, we had them on the booth um, with Erwin and Paolo and obviously our Microsoft employee PNP guys like Frank and, and Bert and those guys that came along. And, you know, we, we definitely, you know, if, you, if you've been helping out on that site, you know, we, we do preferential, you know, people like that on, on picking people to speak at these events as well. So, you know, it, we, we do like to thank people for their contributions because we know it's really helping people to get up and running on these things as well. 
as a big giant dragonfly that looks like that's a mutant just flew by your head and you didn't even notice it, Rich. And it I'm, looked like something from the Avatar. I'm still keeping my eye on those humongous carp. <laughs> I think they're feeding them the old surface ones. This is how <laughs> we're getting rid of the ones that were in stocked away in storage that no one wanted. And then we'll close with some really good news with WPC coming up. Jim Epps on our team is kind of in charge of the partner ecosystem and looks after the store. And um, there's quite a rigorous process to get to the point of picking these winners for the partners. And the partners have to fill in these quite significant forms. I remember having to do these at Avpoint with um, the rest of the marketing team that got involved and explained the value of, you know, what they do for us in the ecosystem. And um, it, it was great to see uh, with the efforts that uh, Nintex have put in from, from really day zero uh, and, pre, and prior, prior in the dev kitchens that I was in when I was at Avpoint, where you know day one of the launch of the the store and uh, the app model as it was called then uh, you know nintex were there with their with their app and um it's great testament to those guys you know having uh, an existing product that was extremely successful in the sharepoint server world that one that he jumped out of the water yeah sorry to interrupt you that, there well guys. i mean i think he wants to be a guest on a show or something you know like being part of the ecosystem and having an existing business but then committing to joining the new uh, ecosystem of the office store has been you know testament to their work and um it's a great product if you haven't tried it in the store it's very easy to just get going and, and start dragging dropping your activities onto the workflow um side of the house so congratulations to nintex i've got a you know a, a warm place in my heart for those guys in terms of what they've done and how long they've been in the ecosystem and the way they they work with us is is tremendous so it's ironic we just had congrats. mike on just like two weeks ago right too. yeah with fits on the show that's right but he's very good. He's like the staid, you know, he doesn't he doesn't shove Nintex down your mouth when you talk to him. Yeah. Which is good. But then we had some runners up. Who are the runners up? A few of the finalists, right? So we get a lot of submissions for those partner of the year awards and and so, you know, Nintex was the winner, but we also had some re a really strong field. So DocuSign, K2 and Harman IE all have, you know, really really cool things that they're building in the Office 365 space from both, um, you know, add-ins to, you know, third-party applications that connect into our services. So cool to see a strong field there and all fantastic apps you should go uh, check out. Yeah, definitely. And then, and then just to wrap up, because we were encouraging people to um, do this with the questions and the reviews, we had a question when it came through last week, we just run out of time and I know we're going over in this one, but I just wanted to get this out of the way so we don't keep bumping it every episode. But someone's asked for someone to volunteer to write a review on the difference between the site provisioning engine that the PMP community are building and the commercial product, which has a community edition of SP Meta 2, which were, had been around for a, quite a while before the site engine had come around, which uses essentially a managed code approach to provisioning things in a strongly typed way, whereas the site provisioning engine is a, an XML-based spin for the XML and, and then the engine reads that and provisions the stuff. And so there's been some blogs that a few people have uh, written and the PMP team have jumped on and kind of defending the engine and um, the SP Meta two guys have jumped in and done the same thing. Um, so we probably need to have like a, a deaf match on the show and get them on a Skype show and and, 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 and kind of have a face off or something. We could throw them into Lake Bill here we could, we and could, yeah. see who survives. We could tie like steak to their toes or something or like chicken drunk street. We have to find out what they like eating and, and, and yeah, we can base them up. You know, I'd always say, you know, my argument here would be is that I've always felt in, in SharePoint, it feels like there's six ways to do the same thing. Um, and, and it's just one of those things you have to evaluate what's what meets your needs the most. Right. Yeah. I'm certainly not going to say that 
you know, something that one of our partners is doing is, is inferior or superior to, you know, the, the community efforts that uh, PNP has done. I think they both have really unique characteristics, you know, from a, you know, extensibility from on-premise to cloud. I think that obviously, you know, what we've done in PNP is all about that, is all right. about trying to come up with patterns that work in both places. So, you know, look at them both, and and I, I'm certainly not going to come up with a. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in people's fault processes on why which, why they decide one way or the other. Like like I was saying about Wonderlist versus Todoist.com, right? Sure. You know, I can explain why I use one or the other, and it'd be good just to hear different people's feedback on the framework, so that when other people are making decisions, they've got that collective knowledge up front. So definitely something you can do on Yammer, and then we'll get the guys on the show, and we can kind of go through the the feedback from there. And then lastly, the bribe people with swag to get iTunes reviews. I did notice, Rich, that you reviewed, reviewed our own show. Are you after some swag? Do, do I get swag yeah, for like, reviewing? Are you trying to get a Raspberry Pi or something? I, hey, I give away all mine, so <laughs> I kind of do. I need to go find Sonia's office. and. Oh, yeah, she's got some in there, <laughs> along with some 100-foot banners that we don't have any storage for right now. Her floor in her office looks very sad right now. Anyone wants an amazing banner for their office? Right. I was thinking about with my new house, I could hang it from my uh, deck or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. like a big Office 365. Or I'm sure the neighbors would love it. Everyone has Seahawks down the street, and all of a sudden there's yeah, office. Yeah, Office 365. That's right. Well, when I bought the house, I had a, a USA flag hanging from it. And then uh, the previous owners came around with the clickers for the garage and um, the garage, depending on where you're from. Yeah, you're still not right. Uh, no, it's still wrong. Garage. Right. Garage. Yes. And she, I said to her, I said, do you want the flag? You know, I know that you know, it's pretty important. It can't touch the floor and you, know, you have to fold it and all that kind of thing. She goes, no, 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 we heard that you weren't from around here. And we thought it was quite ironic that you'd have the American flag flying outside your house. But um, I'm tempted to either put a Seahawks 12 or the Office 365 orange flag logo on there. I'm not quite sure yet. Well, me and Shups, when he's here for the MVP <laughs> summit, we're going to come put a Texas flag on your house <laughs> just for fun. That might cause some problems. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so bribery with the reviews. We had four reviews from um, external people. And I'll just pick pick a few out here. So um, it was the title was an Invaluable Resource, and it was mm, uh, Missionary. That's a pretty cool username, but not spelt how you'd think it would be spelt. Maybe it's someone's name, but I can't work out what the first name is and last name, whether it's just one or the other. This podcast is one of the primary ways of keeping up with the Office 365 news and solutions. Very personable hosts. That's us, Rich. And despite the technical subject, they don't talk over my head. Oh, and his Twitter handle is at SBLOES. S-B-L-O-E-S. Cool. And then Paul Shockett, who's been in the SharePoint community for a long time, a good blogger as well. I listen to a fair amount of podcasts while I code. Unfortunately, many of the dev podcasts that I like are hard to listen to while coding. This podcast brings the right level of conversation to keep the other half of my brain engaged without distracting the half doing the coding. I don't know how you do that, Paul. Like I have TV on in the background sometimes when I code. Paul, stop coding. <laughs> stop Paul, coding. stop. Put stop. the keyboard down. I just find that if I do that, I get to the end of the TV show and I'm like, what just happened? Like, I've totally not paid attention to the TV show. I, I think multitasking is a falsity. I, I can't do it. Yeah, just not with it. Um, and then a must listen from Eric Skag. He said, this is the podcast to listen to if you're looking to keep up with the latest Office 365 dev interview. While I'm primarily uh, around developers, I'd recommend this from anyone who wants to keep up with Office 365 news and what's coming in the future. And uh, he's at S-K-A-G-G-E-J. And then one last one uh, was T. Skidman. Technical, yet easy to listen to. The conversational format works very well for studying complex topics, as well as disseminating news. Keep up the good work. 
and he's at, at T-G-S-K-I-M-A-N. So if you get a bunch of followers this week, you're welcome. And, you know, we'd encourage you to keep that going. Interestingly, I need to speak to CJ because I know they do this on their show too. I can only see the US reviews and I know that some other guys on the show have posted on the Australian store. So someone needs to show me how to work iTunes. <laughs> um, by the time this podcast is out, Apple would have announced all their stuff at WDC. And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that they finally replace iTunes with something. If they're going to rumor to release this new radio streaming service, they really have got to fix iTunes. So um, with that, we will jump straight into the show with Eric. Again, this was a split show, so the audio um, is a little bit off on my part because I was using this microphone in my new office and there's a little bit of an echo. So I've had to change the setup when I'm recording at home. But um, it's a really good show. Um, next week, we're going to have Rohit on, who's going to talk about the Groups API. Um, he's from the Exchange Engineering team, and he's going to talk about kind of where we're at now with that and where that, the future of that API is going. So if you're interested in the group's concept, it's definitely where, worth, a, worth an interest. And then also I'm going to have Christoph Feisinger on the show to talk about groups from a more product management side. And then I'm going to get Mark Cashman on the show um, to talk about the video portal and um, some of the other vnext ready to go portals that were announced at ignite to kind of get the skinny on where the extensibility is coming in i'm hopefully going to try and get either adam harmitz or dan kogan from the engineering side to jump on that show as well so i hope by name dropping that the guilt trip happens and we can get them in a room to talk about these things <laughs> that's the tactic there you go cool well thanks for um catching up with me on campus at lake bill rich you've got a busy week right it's uh this is what we call our um Think Week, and we have lots of people on here from DX and uh, doing all kinds of cool hackathons and things like that around uh, Office 365. So be good. I mean, yep. we should probably get those guys on the show and see what they've been building in the hackathon on Thursday, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, enjoy the week. Enjoy the weather because it doesn't happen like this very often. And uh, we'll speak to you guys next week. I've got Rich Zriga on the phone and Eric Shup. So welcome to the show, guys. Hey, thanks. Good to be here. We've got some. Big updates this week, Rich. Have you been keeping up with everything I've been adding in this OneNote page of what we're going to talk about? Yeah, well, some of those, like like Waldeck is on like a like a mad like publishing sprint right now. So yeah, but there's lots of good stuff. He, he's on an absolute tear. I, I don't know where he gets the time, but um, he um, he literally posted one overnight that was really really good on spars. I don't know if you saw that. Kirk Evans, I think, was over in that part of the world and i think something must have rubbed off or something i i have no clue <laughs> the, the evans magic that's right so um what have you been up to rich you've been traveling much since the um the end of dev intersections or have you been at home i've been at home uh it's you know close to the end of microsoft's fiscal year so there's a lot of preparation well there's a lot of teams that are like trying to close the year uh my focus has been a lot on on getting readiness for the next year so uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of the guys that I work with, they're out and about doing things like dev camps. We actually have a dev camp in Dallas this um, this Thursday um, in Irving. So um, lots of dev camps that are going on, but we're starting to plan what needs to be kind of our readiness for both internal and external for developers outside of Microsoft for next year. So lots of planning and and getting content and plans together around that. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I've um, last week was kind of a bit of a down week just to kind of catch up with the team and work out again what we're going to be doing next year and what our focus is going to be to really kind of drive kind of adoption and um, awareness of the model as well. So it'd be good to share notes between what you guys are doing in um, DX and you know what we intend to do as well. 
But um, in terms of like the blogosphere, Wardek had two blogs. Uh, the first one was we. I've been actually working with him quite closely because he's been doing a, a lot of stuff with the Office Graph, and they've shipped a bunch of apps to the Office Store and the Windows Store that leverage the Preview Graph API that allows you to kind of do things around you know trending data and what who you're working with kind of data. So I asked him to put together a hands-on lab because people wanted to kind of play with the graph but didn't want just a sample. They wanted to kind of follow kind of the, the bouncy ball and build an example. So he's actually shipped on GitHub a markdown page, which is a full hands-on lab in the same kind of style as a lot of the training content that we do. So that's been really cool to, um, to see that go out. And then yesterday he posted about SPARS, um, highlighting kind of the direction with the unified API endpoint which kind of includes right now mail, calendar, contact files, um, and groups API, and just highlighting that if you're doing a SPA right now, that does not support calls. And it's actually, in fact, in preview too. So if you're shipping stuff to the store or you're working with enterprise customers, it's not something we'd recommend. But we do really want your feedback on that and um, using user voice to kind of provide that feedback. But um, he talks about the strategy of using kind of the discovery service and the the endpoints that we shipped last year, which you know now the unified endpoint is kind of bringing together, which are all supporting cores. Unfortunately, um, the discovery service does not support cores, and there's he talks about the, the approach of kind of handling that moving forward and based on a sample that Shaq's put together. So if you're doing anything with single page applications, whether it's Angular or other frameworks, it's definitely worth having a read of that that post that he's put up there. And then in addition to that, there was a bunch of questions I got last week based on the announcements we made at Build around if I build an add-in for Office, uh, which used to work just in the Office desktop, and now you'll notice that it works in Office Online in Word, PowerPoint, Excel. If you want it to work in your iPad client as well as Office Online, uh, you need to actually modify your manifest file that gets created in Visual Studio or if you've handwritten itself um, to be a V. 0, uh, 1.0 manifest to a v1.1 manifest and then the link in the blog post essentially tells you how you do that uh, and what extra you know bits you need in the xml for uh, basically office on the ipad or office online to pick that up and once you've done that if you know once the android apps inside the os for word powerpoint excel support office add-ins they'll immediately light up there as well if you've you know, side-loaded anything through your app catalog or if you're one of the apps that's been submitted through the seller dashboard with the V1.1 manifest that will appear in the Office Store and be available to you to insert within kind of the iPad and Office Online. So that one came up a lot. So I thought I'd mention that on the show if you are playing with that stuff. Yeah, that's an that's an interesting one. Uh, I, I actually sent you a note about this yesterday. I was, I for the first time since we've kind of lit that up, I went through the seller dashboard to submit an, an office add-in and there's even kind of a new tweak there. So, you know, for all these add-ins, we've always provided this model. If you can have them privately published in your organization through like an app catalog or even, even just a file share that you have um, configured through um, group policy for your users. But um, if you want to make that available to a, a wider audience, you know, you go and submit that through the seller dashboard and there's actually a, a whole new section on, Hey, do you want to support this add-in on an iPad? And you even have to go so far as to kind of, you know, say, I'm going to agree to this uh, amendment to, you know, that I've actually tested this on an iPad and I provide an Apple ID. So I thought that was really interesting how, uh, you know, that's starting to 
kind of show up in other places and how we want to make sure that, you know, just because you build this add in, we want to make sure that it's, you know, tested and it's going to run good on all these different form factors. Yeah, I think it's exciting to see it. And, um, you know, uh, one of the things there with the what Rolando mentioned that build around that the office UI fabric, which is similar to kind of that Google materials kind of giving you that CSS and um, like that look and feel across your devices. So it feels and looks like office. I'm really looking forward to us shipping that stuff too. So that, that, that'll be something we can talk about on another show shortly too. Yep. And then, you know, there's been some other big news around Wonderlist and um, Windows 10 there, mate, this week. What have you been reading about that and, and what excites you? And maybe, Eric, you could talk a little bit about what you think of Windows 10 as well. So are you asking like, uh, like, combined or or individually you know because we made big announcements yeah the windows 10 one was quite huge in terms of the the date of the release and kind of the messaging and what they think is important from a, a ship's perspective i mean that to me that impacts me a lot i, I don't know if, if our our listeners are familiar with the term but at microsoft we have this term called dog fooding and it's ultimately i guess it, it comes down to the old saying is would you you know eat the same thing that you feed your dog um, and so we do that with software. So as we're building new software, we dog food it. It's kind of like a beta tester, if you will, or an alpha tester. And um, those OS updates come so frequently right now. I mean, it feels like every other day I'm getting 30 minutes of downtime because a, a new OS is being pushed to one of my, my prime. And I, I only carry one machine these days. So um, it's been a pretty frequent update cycle. So I'm excited to get to stability where we're on that final, you know, RTM version. So that's, that's a big one that I'm excited about. And Rich, what do you think about the, um, what this brings from a universal apps perspective and, and getting developers now onboarding the new OS, maybe with even the, the carrot of, of come to this and start building your universal apps right away on the platform? I think we certainly have a, a stronger value proposition now. Um, you know, I built what we called a universal app, um, you know, prior to 10. And, you know, you still had two, actually, you had three projects, theoretically. You had, you know, a phone project, a, a PC project, and then a shared place to keep shared code. And, and going to one single code set, I think, is is pretty huge. If you look at the number of, you know, PC users and combine that with, you know, I have a whole new uh, group of phone users I might be able to hit um, by, by building something once. I think that uh, it gets pretty, pretty powerful. So I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, that's my perspective from hearing people out in the general dev community. Of course, we tend to focus more on the uh, Office and Office 365 SharePoint uh, type of development stuff. But in the wider development community, I think the opportunity to build apps on on multi-platform basis without having to maintain those multiple code bases has a lot of attraction, especially for those who are used to working with unified frameworks for mobile uh, devices. I think this really opens it up uh, to uh, make the development process more efficient and just easier overall to maintain a, a long live code base. Yeah, I think one of the cool other cool things is, you know, when I go out and look in like uh, an app store, I see tons and tons of applications that are are kind of glorified websites. If you think about it, you know things that you know. If I think about like my local, the local news station, if I want local news, I typically will go to their website, and they might have an application. And, and some of the things we're doing around UPAs and our ability to maybe wrap some of those existing websites, but have really interesting hookins into 
the Windows platform, like notifications and being able to maybe use different components or devices that are within a device, I think that opens the door for uh, a whole new kind of set of things we might be able to to leverage. In fact, one of the interesting things is um, at Build, we actually took Delve, the, just the website Delve, and we actually wrapped it in a, in a uh, UPA so that um, it could be a, an installed application. And we could have various hookins to say, you know what, because I'm just delivering Delve, maybe I want to strip out things like the sweet bar and the app launcher because I want to keep people in that experience. So um, yeah, I think there's a, a, a number of really cool things and a number of cool ways that that'll, you know, even hit people like the the Office and, and SharePoint developer community. You know, in addition to that, we, I, I don't know, Jeremy, if we want to, we had a few questions of the week that we had from our audience. So this is something that we kind of asked for last week and it's the first time we're um, introducing that. I don't know if you want to maybe cover the first one. Yeah, I, um, I, I say this as my OneNote decides to um, freeze on me. The uh, the joys of Windows 10 Preview, right? <laughs> well, we could go. I'll, I'll go to this one that I had someone send me an email. This wasn't specifically re- related to the podcast, but I actually get this question a lot. And I'd be curious uh, everyone's feedback on this one. But the question was, hey, I run a consulting practice. What type of skills should I be looking for in a good Office 365 developer? And where can I find them? That's a, I think that's an interesting question. You know, in the, in the, in the SharePoint space, that was always um, a very, very specialized skill. And I think those skills are absolutely still valuable as we go into the Office 365 space. But um, you know, to me, in the what we're really catering from an Office 365 standpoint, I would say almost the biggest thing I would say is that you find from a skill set standpoint is you have a good background background in web development. I think if you understand web and some of the underlying technologies around that, whether that be things like dealing with you know REST services, OData, JSON, OAuth, being able to understand how websites are able to connect into other services through concepts like OAuth, I think that will get you extremely far in, in most of the things that we're doing. And, you know, there's certainly, you know, native applications that might be more pure .NET based or Objective-C or Java. But I think in general, a really, really good background in web, I think, is is I would think the number one skill I would look for in a good Office 365 developer. What do you guys think? The funny one with me was I was with a customer the other day and they were talking about kind of SharePoint add-ins and the fact that they they no longer need to go chasing SharePoint developer unicorns that don't exist that you know or are very hard to find that from a very specific full trust code perspective. And they found that by training their guys on the SharePoint add-in model where, you know, HTML, JavaScript is like the base skill set. Um, they can teach them how to call REST and CSOM in SharePoint and, and, and skill people up, up a lot quicker. And I think we'll probably jump into that more with the, this whole podcast. But Eric, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously you run a, a business in this space and, um, you know, what, 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 what would you say would be your experiences here? I think it depends on what it is you're trying to achieve as, as in your example, Rich, with a consulting shop, I think that requires uh, maybe a little stronger background in the SharePoint side of things, or at least understanding how SharePoint works and how to uh, integrate with the platform as an ISV. 
uh, or an internal corporate, say, development uh, environment, uh, I would tend to agree that the web skills are probably the most important, depending on how much you're actually leveraging the model. If your add-in is tightly integrated with user profiles and search and, and leverages a lot of list-based data or, or even extends over to calendars and that sort of thing, you really do have to get a basis in how those things work and how they function. It's, I, speaking to developers all the time, I've encountered the challenge of the web folks coming to SharePoint and not really understanding what's on the other end of the pipe and how it works. They don't understand things like app webs and host webs and where is my data stored and and how does this get deployed and and that whole part of the cycle. So I think there's still a bit of a, you still need some SharePoint knowledge there. I think it's morphing though into where we used to have like a senior SharePoint developer who sort of knew as much as possible as they could about the stack and these .NET developers that were onboarding that were learning the stack. Uh, we've changed now to where you can have a developer lead who understands what's on the other end of the pipe uh, and your basic web developers or mid-skilled web developers that are just doing design and exposing and doing interaction and, and that sort of stuff. And it's made it easier, I think, to put a team together uh, if you're lucky enough to have a team of developers and and cross pollinate those skill sets, probably than it was in the past. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. Yeah, I think you know you, your comment around sometimes the web developers will come in and they don't understand. You know, you, they'll go and say, "Oh, hey, there's these SharePoint lists. They're so configurable. I'll just use it like a database." And I, I agree. I think someone needs to create like just like a ten or fifteen minute like. Here is like the the zero to sixty view of SharePoint containers, you know, and how they relate to each other, and you know some of the constraints around it. I think that would be a you know really popular thing for new people that are coming into this space. And definitely the case with the you know like the gotchas around like rather than uh, what was it um, letting people walk into a wall and get a bloody nose. I think was CJ and I were talking last week is that you know tell them up front so they don't have to like invest time in using SharePoint less and then realize. 10 days later, oh, this isn't going to work for us for X, Y, Z reason. And I think, you know, we've traditionally not been good at kind of highlighting that. And I think, Shaps, you're right, like in terms of where things are going and web developers are going to, oh, we can use this as a data store, bang, and then realize, mm, actually, we probably shouldn't have done. And I know you see that a lot from a perf side on-prem stuff as well. So I think it would be good to kind of get that going, actually. We should probably do a show specifically on, like, that, that building blocks aspect, right? So on the, the second part of this question, it was where can I find these types of people? And I think later, Eric, we might get into a little bit. I know that you're a, a big community leader, especially in my part of the, the U.S. But so I, I would say that's that's a really great place to start. I always get a kick out of these blind emails I get through LinkedIn. I think that's like the worst way to find someone. But building up, like trying to find people within your network, I think is obviously the best. But, you know, I think, you know, communities are a, a great place to start, meetups, different things like that, where that are kind of focused around those technologies. You know, to me, that's that's a, a really fantastic way of, of maybe discovering talent that is in your, in your local area. What do you guys think from a discoverability, finding these resources? I have to agree with you there. I think if you move to a new city and you were a passionate fan of a certain sports team, you would find the the local watering hole where 
those folks hung out and and you would go looking for people who share your interests well if you're looking for sharepoint people they're going to or office 365 or or web developer people if you will you're going to find those people at user groups and saturday events and and community type of happenings. Why wouldn't you go there to as a, a basis for having conversations and networking, maybe not raw recruiting, but certainly developing relationships. I think we've we've all had the experience of someone asking us, hey, do you know anyone that does X, Y, or Z? And and we can say, yeah, I'm, I may know someone or I can hook you up with somebody else. And I ignore that stuff that comes in from the social channels for the most part, as you guys probably do, because we get inundated with it. And a personal connection, I think, is the best way to start down that journey. Plus, I think if you show some commitment, at least an effort to engage with the community uh, as someone who's looking to hire folks, you'll get a lot better, warmer response, I think, from the people and they'll be more willing to help. Right. And I think also like putting your money where your mouth is in the user groups and actually presenting you know, the fact that you can present and you can answer questions is a good testament to your skill level too. I know I see um, Spence Harbors laughing a lot on Facebook around some of the CVs and res- the resumes, as I am in America now, get around um, SharePoint architects and, you know, sh- senior SharePoint developers. And, you know, you look at their CV and they've done, you know, two years and, you know, they've not done too much development work per se. They've just been kind of tinkering inside a web browser with uh, list settings and site settings. So there's definitely a danger of taking people on face value. And so by meeting these people in person, use a group and be able to see how they chat and converse with other people that are, you know, in the, in the know, it's a good indication of their skill level for sure. So um, kind of segue, Eric, in terms of the user groups and for people who, who don't know you, maybe um, quick introduction into who is Eric Sharps and, and what you've been working on and what your upcoming schedule is and, and what you've been doing in the community of late with the user group stuff in Dallas. Certainly. Uh, so I think most folks familiar with SharePoint and Office 365 have, have probably follow a number of, of MVPs and other community leaders on Twitter and the social channels and at conferences. And, and I'm certainly no exception, so I'm usually found online uh, rather easily. Uh, I do run a company uh, based here out of Dallas and also out of the UK uh, that we do primarily tools around SharePoint and uh, some consulting uh, as well. We're we're really moving hard towards the entire uh, concept of building these nimble applications around the platform uh, and whether we call them add-ins or apps or extensions or or you know plugins or whatever term. Uh, that best fits what people are trying to achieve. We're we're really moving into ex- looking at those extensibility points as a as a primary focus and helping ISVs and organizations, mostly with a focus on the enterprise, plug into that. And as you know, I've been heavily involved in some of the store apps that are out there, like the Support Plus application for combined knowledge and some of the other pieces. And we we've tended to do a lot of that over the years, just really didn't make it a business practice. And and now we're focused on that as well as our monitoring and analytics tools. From a community perspective, I still do a lot of conferences and other types of events was just in Atlanta over the weekend at their SharePoint Saturday, which had great turnout. Uh, Lead the user group here in conjunction with uh, several local MVPs, Jennifer Mason and uh, Corey Roth, as well as uh, Miguel Wood, who's an MCM, and Rich is a big participant here in the local community uh, as well. And I also participate in the UK user groups when I'm over that 
that way. Uh, we'll be doing the Developer Days uh, SP TechCon conference, which is a, a new conference coming up uh, at the end of this month. And I know, Jeremy, you'll be there as well. I'm really looking forward to this one. It's a developer-only conference uh, for SharePoint and Office 365. And I think we'll get an opportunity to do some deep dives that we don't normally get an opportunity to do in, in the bigger conferences where it tends to be more level 200 and 300 type of stuff. And then I'll be uh, doing the SP TechCon event in Boston over to Amsterdam for the Unity Connect later this year with some uh, UK stuff in between. So it's it's going to be quite a busy year. Wow. You sound like as crazy busy as uh, Dake is with all that traveler. So what are you, the SP TechCon that's coming up, what is your, what are you speaking on? So I've got four presentations at that one. It's a, it's an interesting conference. It's three days of developer only topics. It's a relatively small number of of speakers who I think they've done a good job of, of finding folks who are deep down into the weeds uh, on these particular topics and given us an opportunity to do beyond intro level stuff. So I have a, a couple of repeat uh, sessions, my uh, rest session, uh, which always gets really good attendance, especially from those who are new to this type of asynchronous uh, remote object model interfaces. Uh, I'll be doing, revising a topic I gave at uh, SPC a little over a year ago on Office 365 development around building intranets. A lot has changed since then. The, the, I think the target market and the way that we're identifying the use of services in Office 365 uh, has changed a lot since then. So that's almost an entirely ground up new talk about that to help developers understand when they're given a requirement to do something that the tool isn't really meant to do. It's not really designed to be an intranet service, but that there's a lot by leveraging the capabilities we have in the add-in model, that there's a lot of things that we can do there. And then I've got two entirely new sessions. One is an intro, kind of talking about, Jeremy, what you alluded to uh, and Rich earlier about building blocks of, of you know, what is this add-in thing all about and how do we move from on-premise full trust code into uh, this new type of environment and, and give them some sort of concrete steps along the way. And then my final one, which is an entirely new topic, is, is we're just going to throw back the covers. Uh, we're going to talk about developing apps and add-ins out in the real world in the enterprise. And we're going to look at all the warts, talk about all the ugly stuff as well as all the good stuff, and really just roll up our sleeves and say, you guys want to, and gals want to get in and do this. This is what it actually looks like. Here are the pros and cons, the workarounds, where to focus, what to do in the model, what to do out. And, and I think I'm really looking forward to that session. Cool. Well, um, Eric, I really appreciate you jumping on the show today. I'm, I'm really glad we got you on to talk about kind of that, that scenarios that you're seeing and giving kind of our audience the opportunity to hear it from the outside um, straight up. And I um, appreciate the balance as well, mate. It's great to kind of get it from both angles. Absolutely. Enjoy doing it. Cheers, Rich. Thanks for joining, buddy. All right. See you later. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash Office 365 Dev Podcast Jam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding.